Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 390. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today we are talking about learning disabilities and specifically ADHD in the workplace. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today, Alex Gilbert. She has spent her career working in leadership development. And back in 2020, she decided to start her own consulting and coaching business focused on helping adults with learning disabilities and ADHD who have been struggling in their careers. Her business, Capable Consulting, was created to help those professionals navigate their day-to-day workloads so that they feel supported and are able to reach their highest potential. Her biggest goal in creating Capable Consulting is to change the stigma surrounding learning disabilities and ADHD by reminding people of what they are capable of. Alex Gilbert, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to sit down with you. Tell me first, how did you get into this amazing business, Capable Consulting, and this work that you do? I have had this dream since I was 16 years old to start this business because I was really privileged to be diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD when I was eight and had all kinds of resources all the way through college. And one of those things that people don't realize when you are growing up with the label is that you are growing up with the label. And I had this resource room teacher who was helping me prep for the SATs. And she looked at me and said, you know what? I don't think you should be applying to this school or that school. You don't really amount to anything on paper. And I was so devastated that she would think that because Sure, my SAT scores were low, but that wasn't who I represented as a person. I was president of this club and on leadership for that. And I had so many other strengths. And I just remember thinking, you should see that too. And so should everybody else. And I really wanted to find a way to help people feel empowered, not just because they had a label, but know that they had strengths no matter where they were. So it kind of evolved from there. I did go to a much bigger school. I went to Indiana University and started a mentor retention program for students with disabilities that won a ton of awards. And I was like, I know exactly what to do. I know how to advocate for myself. I know how to teach other people how to advocate. And then I started working and there's nothing that exists in the workplace for adults with learning disabilities or ADHD. And I really struggled. So after a decade of program and leadership development, I was laid off from my job due to COVID. And my husband and I looked at each other and he's like, it's time, isn't it? And I was like, it's time we're doing this. I'm starting this business. (laughs) So that's kind of how it happened. I am so inspired by that because what I think is interesting that people might not understand is what you mean when you say it was a privilege to get an early diagnosis. And I have enough women in my life who are in their 20s, 30s, or beyond when they get their first ADHD diagnosis 
to know what a difference an early diagnosis can make. But can you help listeners understand why is that a privilege? Oh, so much. Because most of my clients, just so you know, are the later diagnosis group. And when I started my business, I didn't realize how much of that I was going to tap into because I thought, unfortunately, from my perspective, I thought there was more of me than there were. Yeah. When you have a diagnosis at a younger age, you are given a lot of tools. You are given strategies. You are given compassion in some ways. And I would say in other ways, I raped the other end of it, which wasn't great either. But I still had a lot of support, whether it was in school, but at home. I had different testing locations, you know, for my testing anxiety. My tests were read to me. There was a lot more that gave me an understanding of I might be different, but I'm not stupid. I'm not less than. I had that knowledge about myself. And I think for a lot of the people who I talk to who are diagnosed later in life, you go through that whole process not knowing why you are struggling with something, why you're different. Why can you look at someone who can manage to sit at their desk from nine to five and get everything done and you've just sat there and you have absolutely no idea where your time went. Those things really sit deep. The masking is very real. And then it really leads into a lot of why adults with ADHD and learning disabilities struggle with their mental health. Because when you are overcompensating and masking for that for so long and thinking there's something wrong with you, that hurts deeply. And there's nothing wrong, but to not have that diagnosis is frustrating. Absolutely. And to not have the sense of identity intact. What you really just described is knowing who you are and what you are capable of. Exactly. And knowing what accommodations, what strategies, what tactics are going to work best for you. I use the word accommodations mindfully here because people in the workplace have a right to accommodations, right? These are legal protections. And yet, The dichotomy between your experience in education versus your experience in the workplace makes such a strong case for why capable consulting needs to exist, right? Because there is a complete gap in the marketplace for people with disabilities or learning differences, ADHD among them, you know, to not have a sense of what they're actually entitled to as workers. I wonder if you could speak to that. There's so much with that. And it's really apples and oranges in terms of what your needs are. And I think that that was one of the things that I struggled with the most. Again, I was someone who understood what my needs were. I knew how to advocate for myself, but I had no idea what that meant in the workplace and what I was really entitled to. So it starts with knowing what are your needs. And that becomes a very personal piece to this. But there's a lot that people are masking for because they don't know they have the disability and they're afraid to even bring up the fact that they have some kind of a learning disability or ADHD because they don't want to be seen as stupid or less than or incapable of their job. And it has nothing to do with your intelligence. It's just a matter of how you think and you learn. And so I talk to a lot of people through this whole process of what are your needs. And I think on the most basic level, Companies have to be much more flexible about the hours that they're asking their employees to work and allowing people to set their boundaries, having programs on their computers and their browsers like Grammarly that literally checks your grammar and then reminds you how your 
tone of your emails were going, or if you forgot to send a, an attachment that you said you were going to, or Speechify that reads everything to you. These are very simple fixes, but when you don't know what your needs are and you take on so much more because, again, you are masking and you don't understand why, it becomes really debilitating. And so I always start with, what are your needs? And everyone, when I ask that question, immediately says, I don't know. And the answer is, yes, you do. <laughs> you you could tell me immediately what makes sense when you are trying to kind of put your head down and, and work. What does that look like? Is it in a closed space? Is it with headphones? Is it a certain time of day? Is it um, you need a certain type of pen? You need a certain amount of time blocked so that you can actually focus on it. You know, there's so many layers there. Yeah. And, and I would venture to guess that it also requires some experimentation. <laughs> when you're yeah. first making the transition from college to career, like just learning how to be a functioning adult takes most of us a decade as it is, you know? Yeah, so. 100%. And I think that's actually a really good point to bring up because I think that people think that everyone else has it figured out. Yeah. And they're just, they just don't. <laughs> they might be really good at hiding it, but they, they don't. Right. Which I want to ask you about that term masking. What does that look like for someone with ADHD or a learning disability? What does that mean? Overcompensating constantly. I, I, I kept bringing up the piece of taking on more because you want to be seen as capable. So someone who maybe hands in their assignments and their projects late and they don't want their boss to think that you know, they're not good at their job. So they volunteer to do more because they're people pleasers and they just want to be seen as the one who could do it all. So they take it on. They stress out about it because they haven't quite figured out how to manage their time correctly. It takes them longer to do it. They're usually tasks that they're not interested in. And then it turns into a whole mess from there. But there's so many layers to that specifically, but it happens to pretty much every single person that I have talked to in this space because we're in a world that doesn't necessarily naturally accommodate our needs. Totally. And so there's this like desire to push back against the stigma, which you talk and write about, right? When it comes to ADHD and learning disabilities. And it almost sounds like masking is a form of trying to hide any or prevent yourself from being labeled with a stigma of being not manager material, not leader material, not going to be successful here by wanting to really shine and put yourself out there. So what's the happy medium? You know, what's the happy medium between not overcompensating and not under advocating? Part of where I start with that is getting to know yourself because in order to advocate for your needs, in order to excel and do your job to the best of your ability, you need to know what your needs are because when you go into a conversation, you need to know what you want the end results to be. A lot of the times, the end results give you the support that you need and therefore you can do the job to the best of your ability, not take on more than you are supposed to, but actually do what's written, which is a lot of the times not always the case, but you are going to be able to set those clear boundaries and have conversations of, of saying, this is what success looks like for me. How can you help me get there? You're going to make them look good when you are succeeding. So it really is a very open two-way street. And you don't have to necessarily say, I have ADHD or I have a learning disability. All the things we're talking about in terms of advocating for yourself have nothing to do 
with anything other than this is how you learn and how you focus and do your work. I love that. You know, my little sister, Isabel, who's 11 years younger than me, has ADHD herself. And she talks very publicly about, you know, accommodations and what sets her up for success. She's taught me a lot about being a good colleague and being a good sister, I think. I love that. You know, I, I did a series maybe last year or the year before on this podcast all about disclosures, what to disclose in the interview process, how to navigate disclosures that can lead to discrimination. And one of those episodes is how to talk about disability or chronic illness in the job interview. And so I think your point is so well taken there. You have the right to accommodations that you can ask for without needing to necessarily disclose. So my little sister, for instance, really needs auditory stimulation at a minimum in order for her to focus. So, you know, for her to say, I don't want to be at the state capitol lobbying every day of my job when I can be more focused and productive at home at my desk um, or in a quiet space or with headphones on is a really clear example of saying, hey, boss, I work best when I have time to work in a quiet space. Can we make that available to me at the state capitol or can I walk three blocks back to my apartment to get this done there? And that that doesn't require this grandiose, vulnerable disclosure. It just requires making the ask for what it is that's going to serve you best. And then to your point, is going to serve the organization best. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yes, definitely. And I will say, I am the person who always disclose. So I don't want to say that you don't have to disclose. I think there are people who are in one camp or the other or eventually decide that they, you know, down the line want to share. So I do want to show both ends of this. In every single interview I ever had said I have dyslexia and ADHD. And the reason I did that is because I have a unique set of skills because of my disability that made me exceptional at a lot of jobs that I was applying to. And I wanted people to know that they were going to be potentially hiring somebody who understood their strengths and was going to really bring a different perspective to their workplace and to their work. And that had a lot of advantages too. So I, I don't want people to be afraid to talk about it. And I will say, I'm, I mean, I'm tooting my own horn on this one, but the truth is every time I did that, I got to the next round of my interviews. Well, you reframed it as a strength, not a, a liability. And exactly, look, I think there's some privilege being able to do that, right? Like being For able sure. to understand your own risk tolerance. That's part of it. But to your point, you've had an early diagnosis that enabled you to keep your identity intact. You don't have as much shame as from what I hear that I think so many people with learning disabilities rightfully kind of pick up over the course of a lifetime by not being able to interpret that difference between my intelligence versus my learning abilities. I mean, what an example of the power of identity and like having a good relationship with shame, frankly, is that you've been able to say, look, I can hyper focus. That's my ADHD showing. Like I have superpowers that come with this difference. Um, And being able to lean into that with confidence is, I can tell, something that would be inspiring now in your position coaching others. So how do you get people that you work with to reframe a disability into what my uh, friend and former guest on this podcast, Tiffany Yu, calls diversability, 
instead of looking at it as a potential liability, as a difference, you know, kind of free from that normative value? How do you help people reframe that? I'm giving away the farm here in a lot of ways, because (laughs) one of the things that I love to do when I'm working with clients is ask them, what is their favorite game and their least favorite game? And the reason I ask that question is one, because it's fun. But two, that tells me everything I ever needed to know about how they think, learn, organize, strategize, what's their dopamine fix? What do they want to avoid at their workplace? What is so uninteresting that they just don't want to do. Those kinds of questions really lead me into what are their strengths. And when we can really dive into what their strengths and how they think and learn, it makes it a lot easier to have conversations about where they can benefit working where they are or going somewhere else and using those skills because they're skills that typically come very naturally to you when you understand those you like look at somebody else and you're like, well, yeah, I just did that. It took me like 10 minutes. And someone else will be like, I have no idea what you just did or how you did it. But because that's how your brain works, you don't really think about it in the same way as something that comes easy. We're so used to doing jobs that are hard and not challenging. And because I want to help people see how they can make that pivot and find the part that's challenging and exciting versus going uphill and doing all of the parts of their job that are too difficult because of their disability. Honestly, I think that's a lesson everyone, regardless of learning ability or not, can take to heart, which is play to our strengths. You know, mm-hmm. like, let's not make this an uphill climb if it doesn't need to be. Let's double down on flexing what makes you uniquely talented and energized and make that, as much as you can, aligned with your work. Now, everybody has elements of their job that are an uphill climb. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be the center of that role. And that's a lot of the times when I talk to people, those jobs kind of turn into the center of their job. They become really frustrating. There's a lot of executive functioning tasks that are required in type of admin roles that, you know, constant follow-ups and those are annoying. But if you put them in the center of a conversation that involves creativity, they thrive. They have this ability to really see the big picture and the little details and simplify so much. It's almost like playing chess. You can see 10 steps ahead before anybody else in the room sees it. So when you watch other people do things slowly, you just get bored and sit there and think, oh, well, I could do this so much better if they just like let me do it. But that is the idea of like being able to see all the pieces ahead. No, absolutely. And if there's someone on my team who, you know, based on their difference in learning style can like master that, let's find a way to maximize that strength is such a key way to to do it. So for managers listening and for colleagues listening who might not have ADHD themselves, but know that we're probably surrounded by folks who have differences in learning abilities and maybe ADHD, how can we best support our colleagues with ADHD or our direct reports with ADHD? What can managers do? This is a really great conversation to start with a lot of people. Having a boss or a manager who can express what their needs are and their expectations gives you, the employee, the space to say, okay, this is what I need. So it becomes an open dialogue and back and forth. And I think when the boss themselves is being vulnerable about the things that they're not 
great at and the things that they struggle with that they are looking for support on. And you can just sit there and say, oh, I'm great at that. I'm happy to take that off your plate. If we can like not necessarily switch roles, but what that support looks like, because the boss can say, this is what the support looks like for me to be able to accomplish all these things makes it a safe space. And I think that that's what a lot of people are really looking for. They're kind of afraid that their boss might think that they're not good at their job, but it's that they're not set up to do their job properly, mostly because they haven't had the conversation. So if you are free to speak openly, then it makes it a lot easier to give everybody the back and forth and support they need. It's honestly amazing how often on this podcast we come back to setting clear expectations as the key for good management, like period, full stop. As a manager myself, when I find myself frustrated or disappointed for any reason, which is very rare, to be clear, my staff is amazing (laughs) here, but if ever there's a mismatch between my expectation and what was delivered to me, I have in my best moments, not all moments, but in my best moments, I've learned to pause and say, okay, what need of mine did I not express? And sometimes my amazing team will help me remind myself of that by saying, okay, well, what do you really want here, Emily? Like you need to be more specific. And so if you can normalize that conversation as one of needs, not good, bad, like here's what a good employee does and what a bad employee does, but rather here's what I need for you to meet my expectation and be really clear when someone's not meeting that expectation instead of this, let's redirect to that. Then it it does open up that back and forth dialogue for them to say, okay, great, here's what I need to meet that expectation. So that mutuality is so human. I love that approach. It's so great. And I was actually thinking I had hired some new virtual assistants And I remember one of the conversations we started off in the first week and she sent me things and I looked at it and I was like, what? (laughs) So we, we like met and, and we were talking it through and I walked through and I, I, I literally said, what does this look like for you to be able to complete the task that we talked about in the best way possible? And she was able to say, these are my specific hours. This is the format that I need. And I was like, done. And then the next week, she was able to complete all the things in exactly the way that we talked about. And it just made it so much easier. It doesn't have to be like an angry, frustrating conversation. And I should also back up in a lot of this and say, you know, that was someone who was new, who I was working with. It takes a lot of time to build those relationships, to understand what your needs are in this new space. When you are starting a new job, you are taking in so much information and no one, no one is expecting you to be perfect at your job or every element of your job in the first week, in the first month, in the first two months. This is going to take time to learn just like you are learning a brand new language. I feel like people need to give themselves some support in that way to know that it's not going to be perfect and that's not the goal. And it is managers' jobs to do what you did, to give clear, hopefully immediate feedback in that period to make sure you're not just like passively, aggressively getting frustrated and resentful. So whenever someone is new 
and a manager says to me, I don't know if they're going to work out. I, I say to them, it's your job to make sure they work out. Like, what do you need to do to make sure they work out? I thought yeah. you illustrated that in a really beautiful way. And what's funny is that there's nothing specific to me about ADHD or learning disabilities that really makes that different. Like that to me is just good management principles. And if we are good managers, we're setting people up for success across learning abilities, right? That's pretty much what I try and go into companies and explain because it is very simple what we're talking about. This is basic communications. This is strategy. This is management skills. But by setting these things in place early on, you're setting not only the person up who has the learning disability or ADHD to feel comfortable that they are in a safe environment for their needs, but you're going to get better productivity out of everyone you are employing. That's a huge win overall. Absolutely. Good for people, good for business, good for everybody. And good for diversity, right? In terms of retaining talent that think differently. So one of the posts on your blog that I read recently talked about strategies in particular, saying if you're the kind of person for whom strategies you've heard in lots of places, how to manage your time, how to manage a project, how to be an effective, organized person, all of those strategies don't work for you. And you're thinking, oh my God, am I like the only one? Like, what is wrong with me? That is the way that you flip, I think, the narrative around supporting people in the workplace with ADHD, right? Is like the advice, the blanket advice that's out there, much of which has probably been shared on this podcast, right? For the average worker, doesn't work. For workers with ADHD. So how do you parse through that? Or not all of it might work. How do you, how do you parse through that? I'll paint a picture of a lot of my clients who I think you were referring to this blog that I wrote, and I wrote this with them in mind, that they get diagnosed and then they hyper-focus and they read everything there is possible about ADHD in the workplace and they try all these strategies. And the reason a lot of those strategies fail them, they don't fail, the strategies themselves fail them is because we are expecting that everything is going to be black and white and that every scenario, every day that they're in is going to look exactly the same. And then as soon as something kind of throws them in a different direction or there's a day off or, you know, you had meetings or you had to travel or whatever the case is, all of a sudden, all of those strategies just disappear. It's like out of sight, out of mind. So what I like to do with people is again, get to know themselves and understand what part of those strategies worked because there might be elements of those things that worked. And that's why my strategy for coaching people has been something called best principles versus best practices because best practices assumes everyone can do the exact same thing and end up with the same results, but that never works. So I like to do best principles. And again, it's really about taking the time to get to know what your needs, what part of those strategies work. You know, a lot of clients will tell me they had timers and I'm like, okay, how did the timers go? And they're like, I just kept pressing snooze. I'm like, so then the timers don't work for you. But what part of the timers worked for you? It was like, okay, well, I really liked knowing how long something was actually going to take me or that I only needed 10 minutes to do this, to get started. I'm like, okay, so we know Having the motivator of the time block was important to you. What the task was, maybe wasn't. Or the part that was interrupting you was it was doing the complete opposite. So maybe it's we're not planning enough time. Or it's the fact that timers in general 
just not your jam. You know, we can't know those things until we really examine them closely. I like that. And so Best Principles is about taking a tailored approach and just iterating, right? Experimenting with yourself, which is so, so important. It goes back a lot to, again, that privilege of having all those resources in school and in college is an individualized education program, an IEP. That's what it was. It was developing strategies that were specific to my learning needs. And that's kind of what the best principles piece has been of how can we develop the strategies for you in these specific scenarios that you can take no matter what comes up in your life. And it's not that they don't need to be adjusted for different transitions in your life, but it's the basic foundation of understanding of yourself that you know you need these pieces in order to make that next transition easier. So what is your wish for anyone listening to this who might be struggling with ADHD in the workplace or just struggling with learning ability differences in the workplace? You know, in terms of having that sense of self intact and having the IEP that you just described, like what do you hope to see in your lifetime when it comes to removing the stigma around all this? I want people to feel empowered by who they are and not be ashamed of the fact that they learn differently, but really embrace it and know that if everyone thought exactly the same way, we would have no change or innovation. It's okay to give yourself space to mourn the part that feels scary to you. And it's okay to run through the motions of being frustrated that it took so long to get a diagnosis. But I want you to know that you have so many incredible strengths that have value and you have value. And I want you to know that there's support out there for adults who have learning disabilities or ADHD. And there's a whole network of people who want to help you see that in yourselves. And for the employees and the the employers, I want you to also see those strengths and say, I need somebody at the table who thinks differently because that's what's going to take our company and our brand and our organization to the next level by using skills that we don't have. Beautiful. Alex, where can my listeners learn more about you and your fantastic work? Thank you. I would say they can find my website. I spell capable in my own way, mostly because I'm dyslexic. And I honestly thought this is how you spell capable, but it's C-A-P-E, capable consulting. Dot com or you can find me on TikTok or Instagram at I am capable C A P E or LinkedIn and Facebook. It's Capable Consulting LLC. Thank you again for joining me. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you for having me. For hyperlinks to everything Alex and I talked about on today's show, head to bossedup.org slash episode 390. That's bossedup.org slash episode 390. And now I want to hear from you. Let's keep the conversation going in the Bossed Up LinkedIn group, which you can join via the link in today's show notes. I want to hear your thoughts on what we discussed today. Have you been navigating the working world as an adult with ADHD? Did you get a diagnosis later in life or earlier on in life like Alex? Do you have a loved one like me who has many loved ones with ADHD or any kind of learning difference and difference in learning ability? I would love to keep the conversation going so we can share best practices on how to navigate the working world with ADHD or to support those in our lives who are doing just that. And until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb.